0: Scripture tonight is from Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 13. And he gave the apo- excuse me. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The Word of the Lord. Well, this will be our our last uh, night looking at the ascension gifts. Um, And I've been asking you to play a little thought experiment about what it would look like for us to be an urban monastery. In downtown, which is something we think a lot about down here. And we've defined that as an urban monastery seeking the peace of the city by offering a school for the Lord's service and extending hospitality to guests. And one of the reasons why we're in this Ephesians 4 passage is it's a great passage on what a school for the Lord's service might look like, about how God raises up his church and faith. And I've been trying to give examples from church history about what, uh, how urban monastic communities have served cities over history, and I thought I'd end with us Um, It's what we've been trying to do. Last fall, a magazine came out. It's called Christian History. And um, they do a theme in every issue. And they did one called Faith in the City, How the Early Church Flourished in Urban Centers." It's got some great articles in it. One is uh, How Christians Behaved as Citizens, Soldiers, and Servants, How Christianity Changed the Roman Empire's Urban Spaces. And they called me because they had heard that we uh, were trying to be an urban monastic presence in our city. And um, did a little interview with me, which actually just was went incredibly viral on the internet. I checked today, and there were no posts. Um, so it's a hot topic. Um, and, and I said, "How did you get down there?" Well, well, we became interested in how monasteries tried to seek the peace of the city. A number of medieval monasteries were in urban areas. There were religious orders living in the world, like the Franciscans and Devotio Moderna, a lay religious reform. Practicing hospitality in an urban space seemed like a good way to care for the city. And then they asked, well, how do you seek the peace of the city? And I told a story early on. I got a call from a man named Robert, who had a reputation as an intelligent businessman downtown. He said, are you guys a monastery? And I said, kind of. We're trying to pray and be here and practice hospitality. He lived nearby, and one night had the epiphany that God was real. He asked us to help him know God, and he became a follower of Christ how has all souls affected downtown our people are involved in nonprofits jails schools shelters with both their money and their time i'd also like to think that we help we helped in the renewal of downtown we've encouraged people to support area restaurants when we first started the church the downtown was at a crossroads there weren't many stores restaurants or people some of the people starting to buy property weren't doing good things with it one building had a lot of drugs run out of it i like to think that having a presence and offering prayers has helped create a healthy spiritual presence in the heart of our city. So that's a little uh, review of what we've been trying to do. And uh, if, if you've been wondering, okay, could you boil down this whole uh, urban monastic vision, Doug? I, I, w- I would put it in two words I would say, faithful presence. Faithful presence. I think that's God's strategy from the very beginning. You know, he he calls Israel to be a faithful presence amidst the nations. Jeremiah 29, 7, be a faithful presence amidst Babylon. Jesus, in the message translation, this is what we read. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. And then really, when you you think about the New Testament, which is essentially letters by apostles on mission to people living in communities on mission, uh, what you have is this uh, remarkable pattern of Paul telling them who they are and then saying, live that way and be a faithful presence in the city that you find yourself in. Um, That's not easy to do. And so that's why we've taken some time, uh, a lot of time, to look at this passage and these gifts and God's strategy for uh, helping us be a faithful presence in, in our city. Well, you know, there, there are different kinds of teachers. And one of the things I, I've, I've noticed and I've not known quite know what to do with is that, um, you know, some of you have, I think, been troubled by this series and have asked me, well, where are you going with this? Um, you know, what's going to happen af- after this? We've talked about these five gifts. Is there something to follow? And uh, I don't. I don't know. Um, okay, we covered that. Um, um, there, there are a few things. We're going to have a little prayer night a week from Monday night in the six thirty in the chapel for those of you that want to you think you might have one of these gifts and want to do some discernment of that. Taryn's going to teach a little workshop. We've put a little outline of the gifts on your on your seat. Uh, I think God will show us, but. I just wanted to say this. I think there are a couple different ways people teach the Bible. Some people teach the Bible. They've gone, they've seen something, and they come back and they share it and show you how to do it. I think that's a wonderful way to teach. I've always wanted to be that kind of teacher. Um, Another kind of teacher is more the Lewis and Clark kind of teacher where you go exploring And you go places you haven't been before, and you come up to a vista, and you look out, and you see this incredible valley, this incredible vision, and you go, whoa, let's go explore that. And that's more the kind of teacher I am. That's, I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's more the kind of teacher I am. And so last year, when we bumped into this beautiful Ephesians 4 passage, I I felt like let's go explore that together together. Because I feel like there is something embodied in this vision of the people of God that is for us in our future. I think there is a way of leading, a way of walking together as the people of God that's different than the way I've always done it and maybe the way that we've always done it. And so I'm trying to say, let's, let's go find this together uh, and kind of trust God along the way. I've been having some faith struggles about that lately. I, I do, I was hoping at this point in my ministry, I don't, I don't want to say autopilot, but I, but I wanted to say, you know, I got it. Let's roll, you know, maybe a little more time for naps or something, but uh, it ain't working out that way. Uh, I keep feeling God calling us to press into new places and learn new things. And I, I feel this even about how we lead as a board and how we function as a body. So I was talking about this in a, a personal faith struggle and, with a friend on Tuesday, and he says, um, "Have you ever seen the third Indiana Jones movie?" Um, now, those of you that are younger probably haven't, but but uh, I uh, I have. And Indiana Jones is this great explorer, and he goes through this dark cave. He's being chased by bad guys, and he comes to this great chasm. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, he realizes he's either going to get beat up and killed by the bad guy, or there's a chasm here. What should he do? And he steps off into the chasm, and this uh, bridge miraculously appears, and he walks across the chasm. And I thought, wow, that's that's a pretty powerful picture of of faith. And I feel like that's where we are in some ways, uh, that, that maybe we're being asked to step out in faith and explore a few things. So we've been looking at these different roles in the body, and I wanted to review them with you for a moment here. I think we have a couple slides for them. We've come up with some definitions. Um, Apostles we've called kingdom entrepreneurs. They like to start stuff. Uh, Prophets a man or a woman moved by the Holy Spirit to speak words that align people with God's will. Evangelist creates hospitable spaces where a friend can, over time, explore their personal religious assumptions while also exploring and hopefully embracing the alternative vision of Jesus. A pastor cares for the spiritual needs of a handful of people by knowing them well, creating safe places for them to grow, and laying down his life for them emotionally, spiritually, and even physically. A teacher shares the scriptures with the people she is in relationship with in a way that helps the Word dwell richly in them, grounding her teaching in both the great tradition and in what the Spirit is saying to the churches now. Um. So we've also suggested that uh, the way this probably works is when you're younger in faith, you start to discern that this might be a gifting. And by the way, these are just five of many, many, many different gifts and by no means the most important gifts. They're just a handful of them. Uh, I would say maybe 20% of the body of Christ. Uh, But some of you have them, and you might start to identify them and, and want to learn about them. And then over years of faithful ministry, uh, towards the latter part of your ministry, you want to equip others in them. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how all of this works out. But the most important person in this passage is uh, the saint. And if we could put, I don't know if we have a slide up there of, of the past short, so we can get it all on one page. Um, it's okay if we don't. But Paul says that these folks are given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And that's a Greek word that means to heal, to mend, to perfect, to repair, to bring to a position of fitness. It's used in Matthew 4.21 for the disciples repairing their nets. It's used in Galatians 6.1 for restoring a, a fallen friend. So that's very important. Um, and let's Go ahead and go back to that, and you can just keep that up until the next uh, uh, slide that I'm going to ask for. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints, to heal the saints, to prepare the saints, to mend the saints for the work of ministry, for the building of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So the idea is, uh, and then this is a great Reformation doctrine called the priesthood of all believers, there's no hierarchy in the body of Christ. Everyone has equal access to the Father. We all have missions. We all have ministries. We all have calling. And a handful of people have a specific calling to help us figure out how to do that. Now, you may have noticed that early in the series, I was saying, let's say that these five gifted people are like faculty in a, in a school. And after talking with some of you and getting some feedback, I, I think that, that metaphor doesn't really work. It, it sounds too much like Hogwarts, and uh, you have Professor Snape and Mrs. McGonagall or whatever, or Dr. McGonagall, and they're yelling at Harry to get back in his room. That, that's not the model, this hierarchy of authority who are just telling people what to do. Uh, and, and that's been interesting going through this. Power dynamics in our culture right now are so hot. It's just so, so hot. And I find it really challenging to teach on, uh, on the body of Christ because we immediately import into it our experience and our wounds related to power dynamics in culture and in other church experiences. And what I want to suggest to you is that the, the ways of the kingdom of God are different than the ways of this world. And so the whole command and control structure that Christ specifically tells the disciples, don't lord it over like the Gentiles do. That whole command and control structure is not how the kingdom of God functions. And I was, I was praying today, so what's a picture of, of and this is by the way why this takes faith. Because I, I only know how to do it the old way. But I I was praying about, well, what is a picture of what the people of God might look like in a more Trinitarian, interdependent, mutually submissive fashion? And I was reminded of a a video clip that many of you have probably seen, but I wanted to look at it. It's about a minute and a half. If we could um, show that. I, I think it's like that. I just find that so stirring. You know, and... You know, there's not a. It was shot by a guy who was going around England in a boat, and he had a camera. I think it was a phone. He just, just happened. You know, there wasn't like a little bird on the shore going, no, 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 no. bad choreography. Get over the left. No, it just kind of, just kind of happened. And the first time I saw that was last summer on vacation. I thought, God, what would it be like to be a part of a church? that responded to the spirit like that. I just, I think that's what God wants us to do. And, you know, if you ask the question, which starling had the power? (laughs) I I don't know. I don't think any of them did. So, again, what, what would it look like for these gifted people to help us fly like that? Well, one of you sent me an email this week. And they said, after thinking and praying about this series, God brought up the scripture we've been studying, especially verses 15-16. Then I remember that in horticulture, there is science that shows certain plants grow better together. This is commonly called companion planning. But after researching more polycultural planning or intercropping combinations, yielded more scientific and reliable sources. Basically, the presence of certain plants provides the most ideal growing environment for other plants. Shade, pests, keep away, producing certain chemicals in the soil. They grow best together. When I was reading and praying about that, I just thought, what an incredible picture of of how these gifts might work and how we might grow as a body, maybe what this is saying is maybe I grow better when, when, when there are other plants around me that are different. And what I think our human tendency to do is to divide the body up into all the gifts that are similar, and even whole denominations are this way, where you have teaching churches, evangelistic churches, pastoring churches. But I don't know anything about gardening, but I think if you just grow one thing, and only one thing, and nothing else around it, it doesn't work. So I, I think the vision is, is that as you try to grow in Christ, you look for companion plants. You look specifically maybe for some of these gifts, but other gifts too, who can come around you and, and help you dance like that. And I've, I've noticed this happen with Matt. Uh, it's just been such a joy to to work with him and, uh, I found we'd be working on something and he'll just see something that, that I've never seen before. You know, one of the things we've been praying about for years and, and Trevetta's carried this vision and others is, okay, we have access to this beautiful space. Is there any way that we could use it to serve our community, to provide hospitality, to reach out in any way? And, uh, Matt's got something he's uh, cooking up for us in March where, uh, Deb is going to bring in a documentary of Flannery O'Connor and the director of it, and there's going to be discussion about it and faith afterwards. Presto, it's it's on the books. So it's just an example of the beauty of having another plant around you. Um, Another example, Sandy, uh, Wednesday night, was dancing with this guy, and by the way, we're not we're not swingers, but in, in this little swing dance culture, you don't dance with your wife most of the time. You dance with somebody else. And so it turns out he's a pastor in Chattanooga from, uh, from D.C. going down to preach a seminar on evangelism. And Sandy asks him, you know, what are you teaching? And he says, well, I, uh, I pastored two churches in D.C., planted them. They both filled up with Christians, and I got bored. Um, I think he even said, you know, I don't like Christians or something like that. And, and, he, and he said, uh, so I decided that I would go into uh, the, a blues bar and ask people about their tattoos. And so for several years, he goes into a blues bar and says, would you tell me the story behind that tattoo? And he says, uh, they're the most remarkable stories. And he's just come out with a book called 500 Tattoos. And he, his parish now is the blues bar and the tattooed people in it, and so he was going to Chattanooga to teach a class on on evangelism, which is very different than the ones I took in seminary on, on evangelism. <laughs> <laughs> but I I think that's kind of how it happens, you know, like on the dance floor and, and blues bars and you know, things like that. That just the different plants kind of kind of come together, so. As we're wrapping this up, I, I, I wish I, I could say, and now we're unrolling this plan, but I can't. I do want to say to you, family, let's go into that valley and explore this. And that does put a burden on you. I want to be real careful how I say this, but we, for, for us to fly like that, um every, everybody's flapping right there 's not a big bird and a bunch of little birds um, everybody 's got to fly and and we need we need you to to, to flap uh we can't we can 't do this uh, without you and that might mean that you feel empowered to have more freedom and initiative than you might be used to in a church. And it might be that you ask permission less and take risks more. might live to regret that, but I think that might be what it looks like. So I told you about my story on Tuesday with a guy about Indiana Jones. The Lord knows I'm thick-headed, so I'm sitting down with a friend. I'm... Friday, and we're talking about faith, faith struggles. Gets real quiet, and he says, um, did you ever see that third movie of Indiana Jones? <laughs> I said, oh, I know where this is going. He says, yeah, he goes into a cave, and he's jumping off of this The bridge appears, and he walks across it. And I thought, oh, okay, okay. So I think that may be where we are. And here's my challenge to you. What does stepping into the chasm look like for you? Let's pray.